Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking Podcast. You know the drill, write a review, share with a friend, help us grow. Today is just Farb and Eddie in the booth and we cover the death of RBG, Farb's road trip, and how it's really testing his faith in American politics. And lastly, what's going to happen with this new judge appointment? Um, what is the Senate going to do? What's going to happen with the Supreme Court? So kick back and listen up. So you're you're on this road trip for the next couple of weeks, months? A uh, few weeks. A few weeks, right. Yeah. So you're, you're deep in, in real America, you know. It's not Twitter anymore. It's real life, real America. And now your faith is being tested. Talk to me about it, man. Like, what, like what, are you, what are you seeing? What is shaking your faith leading up to November? I think you forget. It's so visceral when you drive across the country through Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, Indiana, <laughs> like rural Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming. And obviously a lot of these, not all of them, because obviously some of those states could be blue. And granted, I'm not driving, you know, when you're driving or not in like major cities. And I know, I, I understand that, but it is, it's almost impressive to me, the amount of Trump signs on the highways in the middle of nowhere, the amount of Trump tents that are at gas stations and rest stops that are full on from, you know, it's the memorabilia, it's the, it's the hats, it's the shirts, and people are going into them. It's not like they're just sitting there. <laughs> like People are going into them, people are rocking the gear, people uh, have it all over their cars, all over their homes. Every single rest stop or place you go into, uh, no one's wearing a mask anywhere. Uh, like to the point where like wearing a mask going in to go get coffee somewhere, I feel like, and you, you actually said this, which, but, so I'll give you credit, but it, is, it feels a bit of like wearing a MAGA hat in New York City. Like <laughs> you, you immediately get looks by everyone. You immediately know that you're not from there. And it's just like this embrace of willful ignorance. But at the same time, you know, you're driving through this place. So we're, we're in South Dakota for like two days. Every single, you know, banner is like, well, first of all, so I think they have a pretty high percentage of people, you know, small population who serve in the military. They have a really large percentage or number of people who've served who are amputees, right? They've lost limbs in military service. So there's, there's signs all over the place you know, telling them to get help and this and that. So you have this group of people where every banner is something about the red, white, and blue, America, Trump, patriotism, and, oh, you've been a patriot and lost a limb. We can help you. And also God and church. Mm. That's, that, that's the game. And it is reinforced over and over and over and over and over again. So obviously some of these states were always going to be deep red and, and we knew we weren't in contention, but that sentiment, which is in just in so many places, is really seeped in. I was just, I was taking a step back and I was like, if I grew up in this town, in, the, in this area, you know, I think South, I don't know where, how this ranks in comparison to other places, but South Dakota, I think had like a 70 or 80% high school graduation rate and like a 25% college graduation rate. I, I, once again, I don't know if that's high or low. It, the college sounds on the low end, but maybe 
I'm just that much in a bubble. But I'm like, if I lived in these areas, I'm hours from like major cities, you know, Wyoming is smaller, I think, than Washington, D.C. How could I not be a Trump supporter? <laughs> I mean, like if I was a raised white person in one of these places where you probably don't think to go to college because the pipeline for jobs is limited. You know, it's more of like a skilled base, you know, working at a, on the land, working on a farm, working at whatever random like plant is there because there are, are random plants. And yeah, I just... Uh, Driving around the way. And, and then, you know, I, I, of course, had one of the fun things. Uh, I was at a, a wedding this, this weekend, which was in, in Chicago, which was definitely not COVID-friendly, but uh, <laughs> that, that's a whole other story. And I'm talking to a guy who, you know, is one of these, like, nice white guys who everyone says is such a nice guy and everyone loves and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and a few people if you are talking about something to do with Biden and this and that. And he was like, well, I'm not voting for Biden. I'm voting for Trump. And everyone's like, what? You? Really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I mean, they're like the same. And like, he's good for business. And I'm like, in business. So like, why wouldn't I vote for him? And like that, in a nutshell, like his combination with like the deep red rural, which we're never going to get, which just is like, to me, like kind of a foregone conclusion. But like oh. the combination of the two, it doesn't make me feel good. And also to the last thing is, you know, you hear about Biden not showing up anywhere, like in places he should be. I mean, as I said, I drove through like a few battleground states. Like you would think he would at least try and throw his hat in somewhere with a flag or a, mm. a banner. It is nowhere to be seen. Like we drove through La Crosse, a major battleground um, town that Hillary lost. Or I don't know if she lost it, but like in Wisconsin being a battleground area, nothing, like nothing anywhere. Um, I don't know. It's a... Uh, well, you talk oh, no. about Wyoming, South Dakota, um, you know, just since you named those two states, they haven't gone for a Democratic president since 1964 for LBJ. So they've been voting Republican ever since. Namely, South Dakota um, still didn't go for a Democrat when George McGovern ran in 1972. George McGovern is from South Dakota, so they didn't go from for their home state person for president. So those are solid, solid red states and have been yeah, for a yeah. while. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't expecting anything else, but <laughs> not that New York's going red, but upstate New York, a lot, a lot. The second you're out of the cities, it's, it's a very similar sentiment uh, around the way. And I don't know. I feel like right now is the time where all these nice, white men and women <laughs> are, are, are starting to creep out of their slumber of like not saying that they're for Trump and they're starting to get like the little courage like this guy. I feel like out of nowhere, everyone's starting to tell me they're voting for Trump. Uh, are, That's like, interesting. Yeah, because you, yeah, like you couldn't find anybody that would willingly admit it right no. after at the end of like at least 2017 because it was it was the big everybody was the country was crushed and all of pop culture went crazy and then people just wouldn't admit it. I never, I hadn't like met anybody that year that said that they voted for Trump. Now people are coming out the woodwork. Well, they fooled themselves in convincing themselves that they would have voted for another candidate if someone had come, which I, I don't think it's real. But, you know, now the talking points by everyone. And I, I think they like must all just listen to the same, like Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, like Coleman Hughes, like they're on the same circuit of like what they're listening to. Cause the talking points are literally exactly the same. It's always, right. well, Biden's crazy and 
Kamala is just a token vote or token. They just had to get token black woman, which yeah. we don't. <laughs> right. There's layers but, um, there. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's layers there. Um, and, you know, uh, the looting stuff, you know, being for law and order now. They're, they're law not and gonna, order. Yeah. It always comes back to that. So now, that, you know, I was maybe on before, but the looting thing now is too much as if that really is what really changed it. And at the end of the day, Trump will still be better for my business. It's always like, dude, to do, to do. And, and it's just like, you know, white people think that this point, like 1619 Project, all these things, it's like, we're just saying the end of America and they're terrible and yada, 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 yada. It's one thing after another. And, and <clears throat> lastly, that Biden is part of this radical left, right. <laughs> which is just insane to me. <laughs> Biden, Biden's like a George, like, you know, H.W. or Bush, you know, like a Bush the elder moderate, basically. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, 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 if. Biden's probably partially for law and order. <laughs> like, no, he definitely is. He, he was, the spectrum has shifted so much. If, if, if the Republicans weren't so right, um, to the right, you know, uh, Biden might be more of a like liberal, sort of relative liberal Republican. You know what I mean? He could he could easily go that way rather than being more of a sort of a moderate Democrat. He's like right on that line. And that's I mean, that's the left's biggest critique of Biden, that he's so moderate and not radical. But the right is like, nah, he's so radical. It's, it's, it's all because that's bullshit. that's how they win. That's yeah, how they yeah win. that's just that's how they want it. It's just, What's, it's a talking point. It's, you don't want to, yeah. What are you going to say? So going back to your, the, the, the guy, and not just him specifically, but just in general, when people are- He embodies the, the, the archetype though, right? Yeah. Like, no, I'm not even sure. making, I'm not even making this up. I was introduced to this dude because of how nice of, everyone was telling me he was friends with a bunch of the women in the wedding party and what a nice guy he is and how he comes and like helps people, you know, fix up their house. And, you know, just the genuine, like good guy. Which is like, you know, I'm just so sick of the good guy who doesn't give a fuck about anyone else. <laughs> like, right. But that's white culture. White culture loves people who like will shake your hand and say nice pleasantries, yeah. but are cool with like segre like education segregation and like poll taxes and like all this other stuff. Like to them, that is fine. But like if you wear pleated khakis and like have a nice smile, like you you're good in their book. It's right. bananas. What is it? What is it with people wanting to signal that they voted for Trump? It's like the left's version of that is kind of the virtual signaling is like, yeah, you know, I'm super liberal for these, you know, the people just assert, uh, insert themselves into the conversation with some kind of like liberal you know signal exclamation. Yeah. And they're just like, so he did the same thing. So you know what's for the tough right. though? So what's tough is why this doesn't work. So it's funny. I was talking to like, some super liberal people who were there, whatever. We were having like a little bubble talk about just some stuff. But you know, what's funny, so he brings that up and then they like freak out, right? That's like the typical then like liberal <laughs> freak out back. And they're like, no, how about this? And of course that doesn't work, right? Hell like, no, it you, doesn't work. So it almost like drives the person in the other end. And it's like, if I put my, right. my head into his situation, he's just like, a dude, because he's a white dude, he's never had to care about politics. Because why do you have to care about politics? The game works really well for you. He's probably is a nice guy. He probably has right. pretty hard. Yeah. And he's made a little business of himself. And, you know, that, but when you live in, within that framework, you have a really 
uh, fragile way of thinking about your world. And so it's really easy to like search out the bad stuff. So you hear a few people potentially saying stuff that like you've done wrong. You're like, I've not done wrong. I just want to be a business person. And then you hear the other side being like, you're a business person, go forth. It's right. literally as simple as that. And it's a frustrating because it's like, no one wants to dig a level deeper, but unless you dig a level deeper, it's impossible because the stats aren't, I mean, yes, there's some terrible stats like within a bunch of this stuff, but like, it's pretty near impossible to get into a conversation with someone like this. They come in and they say, it's the same thing we talked about police shooting. We talk about this over and over again. They're like, well, nonviolent police shootings aren't really that much. And you're like, well, potentially, but and, you know, it's always like this buts because it's like there's certain like stuff you have to like, you have to give people like a history lesson and no one wants to hear yeah, a history no, lesson. No, so no. the fact that you can't, people, you can't hear a history lesson means you can't actually like get to the crux of the point, which means you don't get anywhere. So no. if someone doesn't want to hear the history lesson, you have like a zero ability to actually, mind you, actually that's wrong. Not hear the history lesson, actually go down and learn it themselves even more so because no one ever really wants to hear it from someone else regardless. No. Um, so it's just like, it's this over and over again, but I've been like beyond, comboed with the cross country trip and then just like all the like pro Trump Trumpers coming out of people who I thought would potentially be like non-voting. Like I know they're not like, oh, he's the man. They're not saying that. It's just a, this is a better for my interest vote. And there's a lot of that. And I don't know if you saw the New York Times came out, the, the line New York Times, but they, um, they said if the polls are as wrong as they were in 2016, then Trump is actually up right now, mm. which you can't not believe because there's a lot of hidden Trump voters out there. Right. Yeah. Polling's always, I never know how to read polls. I'm like, how did these polls get created? Why are they correct? You know, what, what is the science behind this? You know, why should I trust this poll? Like, I, I just never truly understood that. I should read more about those things. But you're right. I think the one thing that I've been learning more about is really how I used to just think that the Republican Party was just this completely homogenous white evangelical party. I mean, and that's true, but there is, I think there are two kind of bright line factions within the Republican Party versus the, the Democratic Party. There's a bunch of different factions, but I think there are at least really two well-defined ones on the right. And I think that's like the plutocratic class is in coalition with, you know, the kind of white power politics, dominant caste politics mm -hmm. faction. And those two are working together to populate the Republican platform and to get Trump back in, in the White House. And I think, I don't, and I don't think, I think that there are some tensions between those two coalitions. I don't think it's just all gravy all of the time. For example, you know, Tea Party was very much, and even when Trump came out in the beginning, he was very much anti-Wall Street, you know, anti one percent and people forget that about trump when he was early on in the platform and even tea party talks about that but so i think that that those two coalitions make up the republican party so you can the people who are just listen i'm just pro-business I, I don't care about all these culture wars yeah I'm that group's embarrassed of the evangelicals like I, it's not like as right. if they don't they aren't like oh they're totally they think they're crazy but they also just they look at it in a pretty singular view of like what's best for their situation yeah and this is best best potentially for their situation or at least they believe it to be and to them you know this is a group that is hyper non-empathetic they you know it's very patriarchal which yeah. you know removes like 
once again, the empathy and the emotion, it's very in Randy and just like right. work <laughs> hard, get business. I've accomplished what I've accomplished. Everyone else is a complainer. And that's different from the evangelical like crazies. Yeah, exactly. But the problem is there are plutocrats in the Democratic Party as well. But the, the, totally. the Republican plutocrats, they don't mind working with this very racist faction with this very racist coalition like that is the difference between plutocrats on the on on the right and plutocrats on the left so you can be about your business but it's like all right i don't mind aligning and creating common cause with these people that just hate everything that's not white so i don't know it's 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 tough it's really it's really it's really interesting yeah it is man well let's let's lightly talk about rbg obviously everyone has talked about it but um our, our boy jim is basically been lightly and I get where it's coming from. Jim is such a one issue voter, which is a big issue, which I get it, which is, you know, she didn't have black clerks, which is a, is a shade on her. I wouldn't say otherwise, but like to him, that's like the only thing he wants to talk about. And I just, you know, yeah, it's, she should have had black clerks. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but like the amount of, sweeping legislation that impacts millions and millions of people. And, and once, you know, I've seen a lot of people say it's like when she, when she was like on the up and up, she couldn't even like apply for a credit card. Like women didn't even have the right for a credit card. Like one of the Supreme court justice things that she voted in the majority for was um, domestic violence because domestic violence was something that like, the courts had basically said was like a man's right to like enforce, (laughs) you know? So there's a a lot of broad speaking stuff. And let's just say it came from a white lens, which of course it did. Um, It's still, if, if it impacted women on an, on a Supreme court level and it impacted LGBTQ and all these other things, those are broad systemic things. Uh, I don't look, I think we're all about not heroizing anyone, or canonizing anyone, like everyone has their faults. I'm sure she did too. Sure. But I think it, it shouldn't be that contentious that like on the, on the scales of a lifetime in comparison to most people, she's pretty up. Yeah. No, it's, it's, just, it's just a tough climate, man. You know, everybody, the tensions are too high and no individual, you can't, you just can't, we can't put too much in just individuals. Individuals live in a society and are affected by those forces. So it's just like, Nobody is just living and acting outside of this country's social forces and systemic features. So it's, it's so I don't, I agree. RGB, I didn't even know about the black clerk. I honestly don't give a fuck, honestly. I just, she put together, she, a, a lot of people kind of liken her to the, the campaign, of course, since she argued six, seven uh, cases in the Supreme Court in the 70s. And yeah, these were the, the and a, a lot of, there's a lot of good legislation that came out of it to actually basically fit women into the 14th Amendment, which which they weren't quite, you know, they didn't have a, a lot of rights that sprang from that. So, you know, you could, even the, sort of the, like you mentioned, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act in 74, where, yeah, women couldn't even sign for their own credit cards before that or get mortgages, which is pretty insane. And it feels archaic, but it's like all of our moms were alive at that during that. So it's just like, it, it was not that long ago. Totally. And that's, I think that's the thing that's a little hard to, when you didn't grow up in that, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard to realize, like, it's, it's hard to appreciate um, the wins that happened and how 
bleak it was, and, and, and more specifically talking for women here, right? I'm not, we're not going to talk for everything, but we can't, I, I think it's really easy if something doesn't hit every single thing, then it just sucks. And, you know, she's one Supreme Court justice. <laughs> right. I, I think people forget that people don't have a magic wand, but if they, they fight hard for like broad sweeping change, I mean, also like, I, you know, she wasn't the one who decided to call herself the notorious RBG and all right, this yeah. stuff and <laughs> became the champion of like, I guess, white liberal women. Like she didn't ask for that. Like someone like did something on her about it. She was just being a freaking judge and like doing her thing. And I, and I feel like a lot of the like backlash hate comes from that. And once again, it's like, can we just stop taking all like the bait? <laughs> Not everyone's perfect. People can improve on some stuff, but like if by and large, someone's like doing also like, most people that are really like uppity up on race most likely aren't intersectional to all the things, right? You're not going to be like 100% awesome on women. You're not going to be 100% awesome on the LGBTQ. Like, and so it's, I think it's like taking a step back and being like, okay, like I'm not perfect. So why am I just throwing rocks at everything else? Doesn't mean you can, can't call stuff out, but it just, I don't know. It just, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like a weird, it feels like a weird one to really want to dunk on. I think just everyone wants to dunk on something because everyone's just fucking so mad, which I get rightfully somewhat so, but at what, at what point does it not just drive you insane to just be dunking all day? Cause you're not really winning. You're not dunking on. Yeah. It's just dunking on people on Twitter or social is just like the epitome of social activism. Like it's just, I don't know, man, we've, we're, we, you know, we're opening up a can of worms here with this stuff, but like, yeah, I, I agree. She did a lot of important work and she, it's important to center her because she's reflective of the times and where the movement was at certain points in this century. So she's really important to focus on for those things. She shouldn't be focused on for any, every sort of individual lifestyle choice she's ever made or something, nor should anybody. It's just, it's just that there's crazy tension in the climate right now. We're leading up to November and she, and she rised on the scene, the whole notorious RBG thing. It didn't happen until after Trump was in the office. Right. I don't think people really stand for her in a pop culture way before, you know, it, ca- it came a little bit before I think technically, but the movement came during the Trump stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was pre before that. I think I saw it was 2012, 2013 started a bit, but I think like the actual film came out during Trump. But anyway, let, let's, let's move forward for a second or not, let's say on this, but you know, obviously the next thing What's going to happen. McConnell, like, what do you think, bro? Well, I, I think they're going to get something through. Yeah. I think I so think, too. I like, you know, like Romney's already saying like, he's basically going to vote for right. it. And I, I, I think, you know, all the, I, I hate Dems messaging, which is you're not honoring your word as if that <laughs> that's all they can do means anything. And I get, maybe it's all they can say, <laughs> but like say. what, what like punks, like you really thought when they held up Merrick Garland, it was like on something that we, we know this it's political theater. Like I, I just, I think it's, it was such a, like a weak kind of feel and like, I'm not happy about it. It's going to be brutal. Yeah, but uh, the, that's the, the way the system's they, set up. It's totally the way the system's set up. And like, you know, I, 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 the, the woman they want to push through, um, it's going to be very interesting, right? She's definitely like a super Catholic, like to the T. So she's crazy conservative. And um, like her quotes are wild. But I imagine like outside of you not agreeing with her being a crazy cons- religious person, there's, it's not going to be like Brett Kavanaugh where he literally like allegedly raped someone. So it's going to be a tough thing because 
I'm, I've heard some people say this, but I imagine the Dems can't really like beat her up on a personal level because she still is a woman and they're probably still nervous about like moderate white voters, women voters. I mean, this just this changes the dynamic of the election, man. I mean, it's people voting for Republicans. And I think Pence, I think Pence was in New Hampshire recently saying like, hey, listen, a vote for us is a, is a vote, you know, is a vote for our judges as well. Like this is a new thing that can can fire up voter turnout. They've always been for the, the judges. Like Roe yeah. v, overturning Roe v. Wade is like as big as it gets on the right. Like people like can hold, held their nose for Trump for judges, 100%. And Obama, Obama only pointed, oh, he pointed two, right? Two. But the, that was in two Probably terms. That was in eight years. Garlic would have been a third. Trump's gotten, we'll get three in one term. This is crazy. Like this is going to be the the lasting legacy of Trump personally, his presidency, these judges, like these judges are going to be lifetime appointments. They're going to, they're going to be they're young. They're young. Oh my God. They're so young. See, this is a thing. Like judges are not elected. They're indirectly elected because you elect the Senate. But the whole reason that Supreme Court justices have lifetime appointments when the Constitution was created was in order to keep them from the pressures of partisanship and the fact that they don't have to get reelected and campaign should shield them from making any partisan driven decisions. Right. It, that I mean, that theoretically is the logic behind it. Like, OK, the Senate, the House, the, the presidency all has to be elected. They have term limits. But the Supreme Courts don't have to. The ultimate interpreters of the Constitution don't have to worry about these things. So they can just go on their their intuition and, and their experience and, and their legal experience and get good outcomes that are not tainted uh, by power. So, I mean, that is the logic. But that was back when I think when that was written into the Constitution, life expectancy was, what, 50 or something like that. Now these judges are they're They're joining younger and younger and they're staying in the courts for, for like 50 years. Like it's, it's insane. Are you on board for like a 15 year term? I think I've seen like 15 years being thrown around a bunch. Yeah, I'm definitely on board for that. I like the being not having to worry about re-election re- election and, and being theoretically impartial to partisanship. I mean, Polarization in terms of parties is, is just a is just is just on a, a, a new level these this past sort of fifty years, and you know we can we can talk about why that why that is, but I think yeah there has to be some kind of limit. It shit is just different, and we can't we just we just can't we can't um, yeah have people on these courts just for forever uh, until they resign or they get removed or they die. It just seems insane in the modern world, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, McConnell's, the Senate Republicans, like, this is the most important thing senators get to do is is confirm these judges. Like, th- this is the career maker for senators. Oh, 100%. So yeah, Senate Republicans. They, they can ride their whole career on this. Exactly. So they're going to, whether they, they're up, they are up for re-election in November. If they can push this through and get this on the docket, that can help boost their turnout for their, for their election, or it can, or it could hurt them if Trump loses and, and then the tide changes and they're like, you know, they're more on the Trump side. So it, it's a tricky thing, but um, the senators are not just going to sit on their hands. I mean, this is this is what they, this is one of the most important things that they do. No, 100%. I mean, this is literally, this 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 is the game. They get to change massive legislation <laughs> in, in sweeping votes that are really tough. Like if the Supreme Court upholds something, it takes years and years. It can take a decade plus to reverse so it's it's whole generational change, which is frightening. And of course, a lot of people are saying, well, if he gets get this woman in before the election, 
and it's a contested election, well, then it's a wrap. Amy Coney Barrett. That's what you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, yeah. And, and like, she, it's perfect. Like, he gets to play into the whole, like, I'm, I'm putting a woman on and this and that. It's like so perfect. If I was like a, a Republican strategist, I'd be like all in for her. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this goes back to you. This goes all the way back to what you're doing right now. You're riding through these super rural, deep, mostly kind of more depopulated than like coastal, coastal states. You know, these states that have disproportionate power that tie all the way back to this appointment. Right. I mean, every state has two senators, no matter the population. Right. So then you're getting it's insanity. So then you're getting places smaller than Washington, D.C., smaller than Washington, D.C. So then so then if you if you kind of calculate it down to the individual and their ability to in Wyoming or in South Dakota that vote for the Senate, they have disproportionate power than you and I voting for a senator in New York. Like it is just there. Like, why the fuck does Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, and North Dakota, like look up their populations. It's, it's probably like 3 million tops. Yeah. And that's, that's eight Senate votes. Right. But California's 40 million people with two. <laughs> exactly. Like what the fuck are we talking about? And like, oh, the, the house, that's where you have the house. I'm like, nah, this, this is like, it's insane to me that like, I've seen comedians make fun of this. But they're like, if the founding fathers like were a, randomly came back to life, like fucking Jesus. And we're like, wait, you haven't updated this shit in like 300 years? Like this was supposed to be just like a work in progress here. You know, strip constitutionalist my ass. Bruh, but the Republicans are so entrenched. I mean, this is basically minority rule. This is like counter-majoritarian democracy. This is a minority rule. This is minority rule. Every single election, they lose the popular vote. This is like popular rule. Every yeah. single part. part and we have more senates. And even senates in their congressional races win with fewer votes without like 51% of the votes in their, in their districts because of gerrymandering. So you're getting a senate, a senate majority that is Republican that got there with fewer votes than the Democrats. You, get a, you got a president that got there with fewer votes. And then you're getting three justices appointed by the minority that elected the president and the Senate to these lifetime appointments, it's completely lopsided. And we're going to have to Do you to see this thing this. about Texas? No, what happened? Well, Texas has like a rule in the books where they actually could break up the state into five different components. It's something that in the 1800s when they got brought in as a state. Right. So they actually, so like Matt Getz or one of these dumbasses was like, oh, if you're going to make DC and Puerto Rico state, we're going to break up you know, <laughs> Texas. And someone called them out and was like, you realize that like probably three to four of those would go blue. And then you just have one really deep red, poor, like rural area. Cause they don't, you know, obviously like basically Dallas, Houston, El Paso, like they're all, going blue. I mean, Texas is going to be blue in 10 years. I, that, right. Well, it, with the rules written the way that they are, I, I don't know, but you're right. Yeah. I, to, to, to bring any kind of balance, we got to get Puerto, statehood to, to Puerto Rico and, and, and DC. I mean, Texas, that's interesting. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Texas used to be an independent nation. Yep. They seceded from Mexico before they joined the union. When they were it owned sovereign country for 10 years, they were the fourth largest slave society in, in, in the Western hemisphere behind United States, Cuba, and Brazil. So, and I, and I think it's Texas is the only state where they fly the state flag and the American, in the, the American flag at the same height versus every other state you have to fly the state flag just before the, the, the American flag. Texas is like, nah, fuck that. I mean, those, those are, those are those sort of sovereign tendencies. So 
what you're describing is not crazy. It does it's not really surprising to me. Well, in, in keeping with just uh, all, another topic of, of clashing, Bloomberg was working with Desmond Mead, who basically Desmond Mead was a formerly incarcerated man who's been basically fighting for voter rights. Uh, he runs the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. And so obviously in 2018, they ruled in the state of Florida that formerly incarcerated individuals, as long as they were, they hadn't committed murder or it wasn't sex crimes, would get their voting back. Then the Republicans, because they controlled the state house, rammed through that if they didn't pay all their like court fees and fines, then they couldn't vote. A lot of them have like $600, $800,000 in fees. They're coming out. They have no ability to pay. There's actually about 5 million people in the country who cannot vote because of these voting laws. Not shockingly, most of them are in former Confederacy or deep red states. Uh, albeit, you know, like New York and California, they don't have like full on voting. I think like both of them have issues with parole still. So, but if you look at the map, it's basically like these Confederate states, although most don't have the poll tax, most just have it right now where they just can't vote. So some of them are behind where Florida moved forward towards, but then Florida was like, nah, 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 we, we know where this goes. And so people are up in arms saying that Bloomberg cheated and he should be tried and he, he's he's basically bribing people to vote for him especially because the thirty-two thousand people that they helped win mind you it wasn't just bloomberg writing a check i don't know he, he probably did write some size of check but it was all of them raising about 16 million dollars and i wonder if part of that raise was to do with the fact that if someone just wrote a check then it would be some legality issues uh, which I don't know, but we'll have to look into. But once again, you know, this is this just hilarious situation where people uh, and by people on the right are up in arms that they are saying that the the left and Bloomberg in particular is breaking the law and cheating mm. <laughs> by freeing people to their right to vote by paying their taxes, as opposed to people being annoyed that they're suppressing vote, which mind you, even the Koch brothers are like against some of this legislation because on the libertarian issue, it's just fucked up. Like we shouldn't have, like, I think actually most libertarians are for states, you know, getting rid of these laws and just allowing people to vote once they've left prison. Or there's progressive people who want people to vote in prison, which is a whole other thing. But we're just talking strictly about once you've done your time and gotten out. So anyway, we know this is a modern day poll tax, but Oh, for sure. um, this is this is going to be a hot button issue, which in, in a battleground state is going to be like uh, another big talking point. Didn't LeBron do something? Wasn't that Florida as well? Didn't LeBron raise? Yeah, yeah. Money? I mean, a lot, a, he did too. A lot of famous people gave money to. It's him all going to Florida, because right? All going to Florida, and so of course, then they're like, well, "Why they're cheating? Why isn't it in another state?" Well, I don't know how many states have this poll tax. A bunch of them just you literally can't vote, so it has to be legislative turnover uh also once again republicans uh it's called playing the fucking game just as like you guys are playing the fucking game and ramming through the supreme court justice so like like can we just stop whining about like this or that like people are doing what they're doing like you open this box and you can't be like you know so it's just it's so much just crying wolf it's so goddamn annoying no it is it's it's i think this when you talk about oh that's you know, you're not playing by the rules. That's that's unfair. When you have a decades-long entrenched advantage, either you're conscious to it and you're just like, yeah, I want to keep my advantage, or it becomes so regular, like you you become blind to it. Any any untrenching of your decades-long advantage feels unfair, like genuinely. It's it's blind, Ed. 
like I, I think like I know Jim yeah. disagrees on this. I and, and maybe and you can say I'm a white dude, so I, I'm I'm blind <laughs> to thinking people are blind. But like I truly when you talk to people, especially people in like a comfortable position, you hear them talking, they are just I mean, and once again, it can be willfully, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not saying yeah, but yeah. like there it's a full blindness of like what you've learned, what you've grown up in. And we know when people are older, they don't change the way they think. That's just like a human condition. Yeah. And by the way, we should talk about, we should finalize this with a little talking of caste because we're talking hey. about it all related to race, hey. but this happens around the world with caste at the same time. So this is just like, this is on like a human level of just how we, how we rank people, our order in the society and how we see it. And it's very hard to unbreak it. This is the big cheat code I needed. Just Isabel framing it as, as caste. I'm never saying race ever again. I'm only ever saying caste moving forward. And people, I'm going to say it and people can look at me crazy and they're going to be like, it's a better why word. are you saying that? And I'll be like, happy to explain. It's such a better I'll word. I'll be happy to explain. It's just caste. So then, so then all of the other things like caste diversity. We don't get waste time saying you're racist. Right. Yeah. It's such a loaded, charged term and everybody you know it's it's too it's too much it's 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 done you can't use the term the cast can, can you can you break it down real quick so elizabeth wilkerson came out with this book cast and just like give the framework of what it's about for people who don't know right so isabel wilkerson is this author her last book was called the warmth of other sons which is about the great migration which is a super amazing i think it won the pulitzer prize she's amazing i read that book it, it's crazy you know, I teared up. My, my grandparents are part of the Great Migration. But then she comes out. That was about 10 years ago. And she comes out with this new book that she, I think she had been working on for 10 years called Cast. And it is, it is sort of, uh, it came out of her last book in basically describing the Jim Crow system in the South and saying it is a caste-like system. It's like apartheid. And she was like, well, let me just kind of unpack that a little bit more. And Cast, the book, is a sort of a comparative piece where it compares the hierarchy of the United States that was created through the institution of slavery and compares it to the caste system of India, the, the sort of thousand year long caste system of India, and also the caste system created in Nazi Germany leading up to World War II. And it's sort of, a, it's, it's comparative in those and saying, hey, listen, the most common terminology, the, the common parlance that we use, when we talk about race and racism is missing the point now we can, I can, you know, and, and she talks about that in relation to caste is the hard system. It is the foundation of the house for which all of these other things, all discontents, all inequality sits on these hard laws that were created to produce a caste system where people through law, through, through, through politics are positioned in the lower sort of bottom caste of society. And that is black people and through this, through the system of slavery. It, she says it, it's sort of this bipolar system in that there's only two categories, the bottom caste and the top caste. Initially in the beginning, it, when immigration really starts and revs up, it starts to complicate things and new people come in and try and figure out where they exist in the caste. But originally it was a black and white caste. But Ed, real quick, I know you're going, so there was these different parts of the book, Yeah. but caste on a historical level isn't always race, right? Race is no, no, no. obviously something yeah. unique to the American experience, but it's always been a lower and an upper, as you said. And that's what's the really interesting thing about caste, because what it's basically saying is this is a this has been a part of just the long history of the human condition yeah. of just always in society having a lower and an upper. And it and it looks in different ways. Sometimes it's on a religious level. 
Americans we've created on like a black and white level. Yeah. Nazi Germany was like kind of shocked how we did it. You know, you know, they, they did it obviously with like the Jews, but each group has basically found this like boogeyman, if you will, to ensure one group had a higher power structure. And that actually, to me, in a way, is kind of freeing from the word racism. Not to say that we shouldn't think about oh, racism. It's very much, but it really is, right? Because it's saying this is the natural order of power that we always create. And when you can look at it that way, you can take out this like, this or that about just skin tone, which of course is still a real thing, yeah. but it actually it's the thing behind the thing, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, caste is the, is, is the top of the pyramid. It's the pyramid. Yeah. The whole race, biology, skin color, that is all sort of symptomatic and flows from caste, but caste is the actual real thing we need to be talking about. And is the system we're always talking about systemic race, institutional racism. They're just talking about caste. That's what people are talking about. They're talking about about caste. That's what it is. It's not about, you know, you look different from me and we got to accept each other's differences and our different cultures. Like, that's all bullshit. It's about caste. It's about power. It's about the ranking in society and how society was built on a particular caste that people are still fighting for. So Trump is the caste president. That's what he is. He says, listen, I think our caste is the best important caste and I want us to continue to be at the top. That is all the appeal of Trump's platform. That's all what it's about. You know, and I'd argue against, I'm, ha- I'm happy to argue against people who say about hate and fear. Like those are parts of it, but that's not really what it's about. That is not the core of what the, the, the appeal of Trump's platform is. It's caste. But we got, you know, let's, we, we got to do a deeper dive into that. Um, you know, you're further along in the book than me, but I, you know, I, I, have an idea of where it's going to go, but I can't wait to, to continue to finish it. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. I think we, we, we wanted to touch on just, I think some, some hot topics today, but uh, I'm going to be on the road a little bit longer. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if I feel a little bit more positive, but I will say I did think Trump was going to win in 2016. I was very convinced of that for a year just because of the hatred for Hillary. I, do, I still don't feel the same hatred for Biden. I also think we are in a very patriarchal society and I don't think you can escape that just general point, but I can't not be nervous. The Republicans are just so good about just revving up the, the fear engine. And, and you know, and, and obviously a lot of that comes back to caste, right? And, yeah. and, and that's conscious. Fear of losing your caste. That's where the yeah, fear, fear comes from. Hate of uh, hate for the lower caste that wants to take your caste away, like your caste system away. That's the hate. That's where the hate comes from. <laughs> it's, not, it's not hate of skin color. Like it's just anyway, man. You're gonna, when you people don't, rant. And, no, for sure. And and but you know the people in the caste. There's a lot of them that don't realize, don't think about it as that way because yeah. all they've known, all they've known though is having power. All they've known is never going into discriminating against. They all they've known is like things working really well for them. So. Hearing the other side, all it sounds like is <laughs> reparations. It's, it's them getting poorer. It's them. It's it's other people like infringing on their turf. You know, it's uh, affirmative action. Like it's all right. these other things which are like are, are for equity, right? It's for power. It's for power ca- calibration instead of inequity. But they they don't, the, see, they don't see it that clearly. Have you gotten to the deaths of despair part? No, man. I'm like halfway through. I yeah, I think it's call it out. Call it out specifically. So the depths of despair thing is is in 2014. There was a study done, or 2015, with a study done that there was a trend in 2014 where life expectancy, yeah, 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 this one group started to go down out of uh, sync with all other groups in America, and it was 
middle-aged, working-class white men. I think in women a little bit too, but primarily white men Mm -hmm. in that um, the deaths of despair, these unnatural deaths that were caused through suicide, alcohol, abuse, drug abuse, and that their, their group started to go down in life expectancy versus everybody else, everybody else's group continued to go up, you know, Black people, Latino, you know, all those other groups continued, life expectancy continued to go up for like a centuries long sort of trend here. And then people were got to, and people were saying, you know, what is going on here? Like, is it the economics? Is it the social things? Is it, is it inequality? And Isabel Wilkerson talks about, incites a study saying, it is, it is out of a, a fear of status. It is despair because of, of, of people's fear of losing their caste status. But that's a deeper conversation. I think that was probably the most profound thing I've read in a while. So I don't want to like directly name drop this person, although I think they might be okay with it, but you know this person anyway. And I said, I said, we were going in this back and forth about talking about just the wealth divide and a bunch of different stuff. And so I made the statement, which isn't like, I don't think it's not a mind shattering statement to you or not, but I was just like, if poor white people could ever realize that their plight is the same as other marginalized people, groups, we could have real change in America, right? Which is like, yeah, they might be slightly, they're higher on the cast, but they're still low, like, hence to that, like, level. But, and that person was like, wow, that is a fascinating observation. Like, it hadn't, like, hit them, right? (laughs) And, and, like, it's kind of mind-blowing that that didn't hit them. But once again, this is where I say the blindness is real. And you can say it's willful or whatever. It's complicated. But, like, people don't see the stuff because it's complicated and it's baked into the design. We know that we've suppressed that thought of people thinking that they could possibly be on a similar level. My, the last that I'll say is there's a town east of Tulsa that has the lowest life expectancy in the U.S. It's about 58 years old. Um, the average life expectancy in the U.S. is 78. And it's like, you know, 99% white town. So, you know, driving through this country, once again, it's not like I, you don't look around. You're like, man, like these places are fucked. There's so much poverty here. People, it's not like people are living nice the only the biggest conceivable job you can think of when you're driving around is truck drivers. Shout out Andrew Yang. We know they're about to get automated away in the next like 10, 15 years. Oof. So like their whole situation is pretty existential too, but like, you know, it's, it's more fun to believe uh, some, some <laughs> shred a level of superiority than actually. Yeah. And sometimes your life depends on it. Yeah. Or the otherwise, you know, you, you, you despair to death. All right, Ed, I got to jump. But uh, we uh, think this was a good catch up and let's uh, have more for next week. Word. All right, everyone. Peace.